0: heavenly father we thank you so much for your holy spirit and pray now that as we come to your word that by your spirit you would help us to know your mind and that by your spirit you would help us to be mature and we pray this in jesus name amen part of growing up is realizing that not everybody sees things the same way uh, we sometimes talk about how people see things through different lenses, you know, which change the way that they view their world. And sometimes we, we just need to try and see through their eyes. So just in case you haven't realised it, not everybody sees things the way that you do. Uh, sometimes one event can be completely differently interpreted by two different people. So if you're a farmer right now in Europe struggling through a, a bitter drought, you'd see rain as a blessing. But if you're planning a wedding in Paris, you'd see that same rain as a disappointment. One event with two very different perspectives. The same one thing can be seen differently through different eyes. The eyes are different because they have different lenses to the world. They're not literal lenses like the things in my glasses here, but they're worldview lenses. Two different people can react very differently to each other, depending on their world view. And there are so many different world views. And each of us have lots of different lenses through which we see the world. So if your world view is that a person becomes a human around the time of conception, and that you think that each person is handmade by our Creator God, then your worldview will rejoice when abortion is criminalised. But if your worldview is that a person is human only after birth, and you think that a woman's right to freely make medical decisions includes the choice of termination, then your worldview would make you feel sad and angry. One event is seen very differently by two different people. This is a pretty obvious example, I think, But there are many others that are less obvious. And some of them are strongly affected by personal experiences and traumas. Things may have happened to you, especially things that are outside your control. And they can change the way that you see the world. Others can try and stand in your shoes. But ultimately, the best thing that they can do is is try and empathise with you. They'll never really know what it's like for you to be you or for me to be me. And they'll never be able to truly experience what you've experienced. And that is an important thing about being mature in life. Because a mature person will see that others view the world differently to them. And they'll try to be loving towards them, even if they don't agree with their conclusions. And that is an important part of being mature in life. We might call it emotional intelligence or advanced empathy or something like that, but really it's just what mature people should be trying to do because ultimately it's about loving others because it's loving when you realise that others see the world differently. It's loving to see the world through others' eyes. But as we try to be loving to all people, we need to realise that there are ultimately only two views in the entire universe. There are only two ultimate world views. There's the world view of those who have God's Holy Spirit and there's the world view of those who don't. They are the two world views that ultimately exist. Ultimately, each person in the universe has one view or they have the other. True followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit and see things one way and everybody else sees things the other way. Now, it doesn't mean that there is an overlap between those who are spiritual and those who are not, those who have the Holy Spirit and those who don't. In fact, some people uh, who are unspiritual, to use this definition we'll see in a moment, they may share many of the attitudes and behaviours with people who have the Holy Spirit. But at the core is a totally different foundation. It is a totally different worldview. And today, as we look at the fifth talk out of Paul's first letter to the Church at Corinth, we'll see lots of talk about these two different kinds of worldviews. Or, as Paul puts it, two different kinds of wisdom. These two kinds of wisdom are totally different to each other. One is spiritual and the other is not. And it's that simple. One is is for those who have God's Holy Spirit, and the other is those who don't. Now, why do we need to worry about this distinction? Why don't we just sort of agree to disagree? Well, the reasons found in the first verse, which from one Corinthians chapter two verse six a, is this. Yet when I am among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom. Paul starts talking about mature believers, and I wonder what you think when you hear the word mature. If you were to think of somebody who was really, really really mature that you knew, what would it be about them that would make them mature to you? It might be that they're older and wiser. Maybe they're somebody who's made a few mistakes but has learned from them. And just generally, they're, they're a wise person. That's what a mature person is like. But Christian maturity is different to general kind of maturity. In fact, a person can be young in age... And still be old in maturity as a Christian. Uh, Jesus spoke very highly of the little children who weren't very old at all. He said in chapter 18 of Luke, Let the children come to me, don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. So spiritual maturity isn't necessarily about age, it's more about thinking and living in a way that comes from the Holy Spirit. And we'll have more of that in a moment. But what we'll see here, as is seen in various places in the book of Hebrews as well, is that God wants us to be more mature. He wants us to grow up. That's what we're supposed to be doing, growing up. Maturity is a good thing when it comes to the Christian life. Growing up is good. And that's because when we are mature, we will realise that true wisdom is actually true. Paul chose to speak words of wisdom to mature believers and that is because it is, as he said two verses before, we saw last week, my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom but in the power of God. This is what he means by words of wisdom. It's the power of God which stands against human wisdom. So as we compare human wisdom with God's wisdom, or or we compare unspiritual wisdom with spiritual wisdom, we need to remember that there are many wise things, though, that atheists say and do. This is something to think about, okay? Because we believe that God has revealed things about his character and creation, and that these things are plainly visible to anyone who chooses to look and learn. God has revealed some things to everyone. And that's why atheists and unbelievers have been known to do amazing things, including very kind things and very sacrificial things. Uh, They've worked out many things about wise living by looking at the ordered creation that God has made for them to observe and learn from. But even though they act in a way that appears wise... It doesn't mean that they know God's wisdom. And that's because if they don't have God's spirit in them, then they'll only follow the world's wisdom. And this is what the world's wisdom is like. Verse 6. Yet when I'm among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. See, Paul contrasts the wisdom from the spirit of God with the wisdom that belongs to this world, which he says is the wisdom of the rulers of this world. What's he talking about with the rulers of this world? Well, it's, I think it's talking certainly about the powerful rulers around us in the world, like presidents and prime ministers and premiers and principals and anyone else who has leadership in the world It's talking about them. And you can see here that he makes a comment about them. He says that they are soon forgotten. It's a sobering comment. The leadership of rulers will soon be forgotten. Even if you're an influential ruler, a great leader, and they decide to name a suburb after you, or maybe a road or a street, uh, it doesn't mean that they'll really, really remember you. They might remember your name, but maybe not much about you. I mean, the history nerds might. They might say, oh, look, do you know anything about so-and-so? Oh, I haven't heard... You mean the guy who's street? Yeah, that guy. Well, let me tell you about him. But most people won't know anything about that leader. The leadership of all but the most famous people in history will soon be forgotten. And that's why their worldly wisdom is ultimately destined for failure. Sobering, isn't it? But when Paul speaks of the rulers of this world, I think he's talking about even more than that. I think he may well be speaking about the spiritual rulers of the world like he has in other letters. And if that's the case, then this is a fresh reminder to us here that this world of two wisdoms is actually going to have a winner and going to have a loser. One world of wisdom will win and the other will lose. And everyone who follows the way of the rulers of the wrong wisdom will go their way with them and they too will eventually be forgotten. Paul is leading us here to realize again that heaven and hell are real. He's leading us to see things that this see, see that the things of this world will be passing away and that the things of this world will be destroyed. In this there's no room for sitting on the fence. There's no room for indecision. Either you follow the wisdom of God Or you follow the wisdom of the world. It is completely binary. One or the other. So what are you going to follow? Because you've got to follow one or the other. Well, let's find out a bit more about this wisdom now. Verse 7. The wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. Paul speaks of the mystery of God, and God's mystery is his special plan. Now, when we think of the word mystery, we often think of something we don't know. You know, what what time are they coming tonight? I don't know. It's a total mystery. Oh, okay, sure. Or maybe it's like the mystery of a thief in a crime novel. You know, well, I'm not really sure what will happen. Then right at the end, it's all revealed that it's the professor in the billiard room with the candlestick or whatever it is. You know, it's kind of this mystery, this unknown thing is revealed for everybody. But it means something more specific in the New Testament, as we read in the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 3, As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mystery, his mysterious plan to me. Verse 6, And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, And both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. It's a mystery, as in, whoa, I never saw that coming. You know, what a surprise. It's a mysterious plan that was previously hidden, but it was not God's plan B. It's not like God looks down on the world and says, oh, oh, no, don't do that, don't do that. Oh, dear. Okay, um, I think we're going to need plan B. It's not like that with God. As we sing in the song, nothing takes God by surprise. His plan A, which is the only plan he has, is that he would include both non-Jews, the Gentiles, and the Jews, all of those who believe in the good news of Jesus, the Gospel, they would share in his eternal riches together. And this was made for our ultimate glory before the world began. Nothing takes God by surprise. And the inclusion of non-Jews into his people was always his great plan for the universe. And you look back and you think, ah, that makes sense. It makes sense of that stuff that Isaiah said and the promises back then and even back to what was said to to Abraham. Ah, that makes sense. The mystery is sort of unveiled to us. We go, ah, I get it. But not everybody sees it that way. And so we read in the next verse, verse 8. But the rulers of this world would not, uh, have not understood it. Because if they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. If those rulers back then had understood God's amazing plan, then they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. If they really realised that Jesus came for the believing Gentiles and for the believing Jews, then they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. They would have accepted him and followed him as king. But instead, the rulers of the world rejected and executed Jesus. They weren't just a little bit wrong. They were really, really, really wrong. That's how much they were following human wisdom, not spiritual wisdom. And sadly, they crucified the Lord of glory. The one who shows the glory of God is the one who was brutally humiliated by execution on a Roman cross. That's how badly wrong they got it. But how could they miss it when it seems to make so much sense? Well, verse 9, that is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We're not entirely sure exactly where Paul's quoting from, although it Seems pretty similar to Isaiah chapter 64 verse 4. But the point in this is that God's amazing plan is beyond imagination. It is mind-blowing. It goes against the grain of the world. And it is grace that is truly amazing. But you know, we didn't find this grace by looking. We only know this mystery because the mystery was revealed to us. We see in verse 10, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. See, the Bible makes it clear to us that nobody could have discovered God's plan on their own. It's not like a a hidden clue that was discovered or a code that was cracked. The only way we know God's plan is because his Holy Spirit revealed it to us. It was an act from God. None of us discovered it. It was revealed to us by God. You know, when people say, I found God, uh, well, no, not quite. We didn't find God and find His truth. He found us and showed us His truth. But how? Verse 10b For His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. It was God's Holy Spirit that showed us the things that were hidden to us about God's deep secrets. We only know what God's thinking because He's told us. We know what God is thinking because he's, He tells us. Uh, from time to time, I'll just go into this sort of deep thought looking mode and I'll sort of, you know, hm mm, or, or maybe I'll we, we'll take my glasses off and go, mm, And you look at me and you think, man, what is He thinking? You might say, well, what are you thinking? I'm thinking, Ah, uh, I don't know, I've just sort of took my glasses off and went, hmm. I, I, I. But, but sometimes I'm in this kind of mode and I'm thinking stuff. And, and you could have a guess and think, I reckon I know what he's thinking about. Or you could go and take me into some of the fancy machines, the PET scans or whatever, and put things on my head and plug them into the computer and say, well, try and work out what Jodie's thinking. And you you might see all these sort of things firing up, or or maybe very few, I'm not sure. but, But all this is happening. But unless I tell you exactly what I'm thinking, it'll be a mystery to you. And that is true of God as well. We read in verse 11, No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. If you want to know God's thoughts... You can't just look at him and work it out. I mean, we know from the scriptures that God has revealed all sorts of things through his creation to us. The the beauty of creation, the order of creation, what God is like, there's a lot of stuff there. And enough for us to realise, as Romans 1 tells us, that we all need to be reconciled to God. So there's a fair bit there. But all the rest, how do we work out what God's thinking? I mean, to all of us, he, he might just be doing... Because we, we, unless you say, God, tell us, what are you thinking? If he doesn't tell us, we won't know that. So how do we get access to God's thoughts? It's through his spirit. But how do we get access to his spirit? <laughs> Verse 12. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. How do we get access to God's Spirit? It's pretty simple. We receive Him. We receive His Spirit. God gives us His Spirit and in doing so, we now can know His grace. We can know, verse 12, the wonderful things God has freely given us. The only way that you will realise that amazing grace is actually amazing is if God's Spirit has shown you that truth. And it's as he leads us to know the mind of God that we can actually personally know God. You know, most of the time when someone says something's free, we think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Free, but with a, an asterisk next to it. And you know, we go to the shop to claim our prize for something and we see in the fine print it says, you know, terms and conditions apply. Okay, great. That is what we expect from free stuff, isn't it? But with God, his kindness to us, His rescue of us, His his forgiveness of us is all totally free. No strings attached. No terms or conditions apply. But how are you going to work that out? How will you know what God thinks of you? How, How do you know that His grace is genuinely free? How do you know all that stuff? Well, you wouldn't know any of that if it wasn't for His Holy Spirit. He freely gave us his spirit and now we can know his free gift of life. Now when I talk about us and we and we receive this, I am talking to people who have the Holy Spirit. I'm talking to you who already believe and trust in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now chances are in a church building like this, most of you would be people who already are followers of Jesus and that's awesome. I can't see through the camera to who's watching on the live stream, but that may well be the case as well. But it's also quite possible that that some of us who are listening to this may actually not yet be followers of Jesus. And as we talk about these things, of of what it is to to know God's grace, his kindness, his goodness, his forgiveness, when you hear that, how, how does it make you feel? Do you think that's just rubbish? No, that's silly. And why am I here at church? And why is my browser stuck so I'm watching this preacher on Facebook? Why can't I get some more cat videos? Whatever it is. You're thinking, why why is this happening to me? But maybe it might be that as you're listening into this, you're thinking, that's just starting to make some sense to me. I'm starting to understand what God's grace means. I'm starting to understand what it means to be friends with God at his expense, not mine. And if that is the case... That is because God's Holy Spirit is working in you to help you see God's grace as it really is. And so if the Holy Spirit has brought you this far, when you are starting to see that the wisdom of God is wiser than the wisdom of the world, then jump on in and follow the Lord Jesus tonight. Wait no longer. And if you want to know more about how to do that, come and see me afterwards or one of our team, one of our leaders. Well back to the Bible passage, the question is how do we actually get these words about God giving us His Spirit so that we can know Him and His truth? The answer is verse 13. When we tell you these things we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's word to explain spiritual truths. Uh, The answer is pretty simple. Uh, it's the same Holy Spirit. <laughs> he is the one who gives us the words about God. The Holy Spirit gives us words about God. He gives us His words so that we can understand, and so that we can then explain spiritual truths to others. And because we've got the Spirit in us, we can understand them. Now we don't necessarily understand everything about God. You might think that you know, oh, the second I get the Holy Spirit, I know the lot. Well, let me tell you, as someone who's been a Christian for a little while, that is not the case. Uh, There are all these aspects of God's character and and the Bible, and I keep learning things all the time, going, wow, I hadn't seen that before, how good is that? And and there are certain times in my life when I've done a really, really deep dive into a particular theological area. I I can remember when I was studying at theological college, there were some essays I did, and they were on the tiniest little thing about God and the Bible and stuff, and I did this Really, really deep dive, and I got nowhere near touching the bottom. Uh, That is the experience of becoming more and more mature in Christ, and it's quite exhilarating, really. That is the journey we go on. And as we go on this journey, the Holy Spirit shows us more and more of God. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. But because we have the Holy Spirit in us, it means that we are given words to know and speak about God to others. Our experience of knowing him deeper and deeper and deeper is something that we can share with others. But that is not the case for everyone. And so we read in verse 14, But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Uh, This is a very, very clear statement about our helplessness. A couple of weeks ago I talked about how much we hate being helpless, We want to be fully independent, able to make our own decisions on our own future. We don't want anyone else to tell us what we have to do. We don't want anyone to have to need us to help do anything in our life. And we kind of feel like we'd like to be like that with God. I want to do it on my own. Leave it to me. I'll work it out. But if God granted us that wish and we spent all our energy trying to find the meaning of life, Then we would never, ever, ever succeed. And that is because we are all naturally born as enemies of God. It's quite a sobering thought, really. It's a little bit pessimistic, some might even say. Well, that's a bit of a down view on humanity. Well, it's God's view, it's what His Holy Spirit has told us in the scriptures. And it's not until God's Spirit has actually revealed to us the truth about God. That we can even begin to understand Him. We were blind, but now we see. And it wasn't until God's Spirit revealed it to us that we were able to make sense of Him and His Word. I wonder if you've ever picked up a call from somebody and they've started speaking to you in a different language. You think, oh, 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 and you say, Hi, it's Jody McNeil. Uh, how can I help you? and they keep speaking, and it's pretty clear that it's the wrong number, and they're speaking to me in a language that's not English, they don't know English, I don't understand what they're saying, they don't understand what I'm saying, and we can talk and talk and talk, and it's just going to get nowhere. Now, if I was face-to-face with them, I might be able to sort of do what you do when two people speak different languages, and, and, and do, you know, like, go over there, and they think... It doesn't matter how slowly you say it or how much you wave your arms, I still don't know low <laughs> English, sorry. You know, um, the, the point of all of this is that when you do not know the language, it doesn't make any sense to you at all. It's only as you are actually able to understand the language that you can understand the meaning. And it doesn't matter how sincere you are as you're on the phone to that person saying, I sincerely want to listen and understand this person who's speaking to me in a different language, it's not going to make any difference. Because in the same way, if it was not for God's Holy Spirit, we would not understand God's Word. We would not actually receive it as being true. And it's only by Him reaching out to us and giving us His Spirit that we can recognise the wisdom of God as it really is. Uh, Make no mistake, friends, you will only think that following Jesus is good if God makes you spiritual. You'll only ever trust in Jesus if God's Holy Spirit has made it clear to you that Jesus is Lord. We trust in Jesus because the Spirit reveals him. Uh, This is one of the verses in the Bible that teaches uh, a nerdy sounding doctrine called total depravity. Uh, It's a term that basically says that because of the fall of humans, which is in the third chapter of the Bible, Because of the fall of humans, every human is so enslaved to sin that we can't naturally see the goodness of grace. We can't recognise God's love for us. And what's more, we can't actually choose to follow God if he doesn't first choose us and bring us to himself, if he doesn't grab us out of that mess. Uh, That is this doctrine, this nerdy-sounding doctrine of total depravity. Or another way to put it is how it says in verse 14... People who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. But that's not all. Verse 15, we read that those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. Another way it can be translated is, those who are spiritual can judge all things, but they themselves cannot be judged by others. When you and I have the Spirit of God, when we are spiritual, we can then evaluate or judge all things. We make sense of the universe because we've got the Spirit of God. He's given us the true wisdom, and so we can understand His wisdom. But we who are spiritual, who have the Holy Spirit, we cannot be properly evaluated or judged by others. They don't see the world our way. They have a different glasses on. Their worldview is different to our worldview. Uh, people in that situation think that we are crazy to follow him. A good mate of mine uh, came to the conclusion that he wanted to leave his job and go and study at Moore College and become a minister. And he sat down his boss and gave him the, the, the big news. He said, I need to let you know that I'm leaving the firm to go and study to become a minister. His mate from work then let out a pretty fruity bit of a tirade. Uh, he was pretty overwhelmed. Uh, I could not believe that he would possibly do this. What are you doing that for? Are you crazy? And he went, ah oh, and said a whole lot of words I'd never repeat in the sermon. Uh, and then he turned to him and he said, Huh! Oh, and I can't even offer you any more money to stay. He thought he was crazy. He was a guy who was going up and up and up and up the ladder of a big building, you know, in a, in a big city building. And he was doing everything right for the world. And they're saying, mate, our world's wisdom says you're an idiot to leave all this behind. But he had the spirit of God. He had true wisdom, God's wisdom. And he saw that there's nothing more valuable than someone else knowing that Jesus is Lord. And so we need to remember that unspiritual people can't truly judge spiritual people. Friends, maybe even family, might say that you're crazy to follow Jesus. And it's hard and it hurts. But they can't see the world the way you see the world because you're either a person who is an unspiritual person Looking through the glasses of the world, or you are a spiritual person who has the Holy Spirit looking through the glasses of God, one way or the other. And this is very important for us as we come to the issues that are going to be coming in Corinth in the, few, in the weeks ahead as we look at it in 1 Corinthians. But the, as we wrap up, let's stop and think why it is that we who are spiritual can be so discerning. And why not those who are unspiritual? Well, the final verse says to us, For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. How do we know God? It's because we've got the mind of Christ. This is extraordinary. It doesn't say we have access to the mind of Christ. It says we have the mind of Christ. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit. To have the mind of Christ, so that we might know true wisdom. The world will think we're crazy, but God knows that we are truly wise. And the the mystery of God, his extraordinary salvation, it to us is life. And so come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold.